Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Uncommon Drive Podcast, where we take a look at life, leadership, and legacy through the lens of sports officiating. Now let's join our hosts, Jeff Cross and Chad Ozy, as we learn how to have an uncommon drive towards success. Hey everyone, uh, this is Chad Ozy, and I'm here with Jeff Cross, uh, and we are part of the Uncommon Drive podcast. Uh, so looking forward to bringing things to you uh, over the course of this dialogue that we have together. And uh, we're going to focus on lots of different things. Uh, we both come from the sports world and specifically officiating. Uh, we'll be talking about some of that, uh, as well as life and entrepreneurship and leadership and home and all of those things that uh, make us who we are. And uh, we want to introduce ourselves to you and tell you just a little bit about us and uh, why we come with the perspectives that we do. And so, Jeff, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Well, I'll try. <laughs> uh, first thing, uh, you know, I, I always like to start with my home life. You know, I'm, I've been married for coming up on 30 years in February. I have two kids that are out of my house, and as I like to joke about, they are off my payroll. So that means I don't have to pay them anymore. So, um, and then uh, you know, so happily married for thirty years. Gina is a great wife. Um, and then you know, as far as the officiating world, you know, back in nineteen ninety two, I went to Major League Umpire School. Or, uh, then it was a Joe Brinkman School. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's around anymore. I'm not for sure. So, but uh, it doesn't make a difference. Went there. Um, 
I don't want to say failed miserably, but didn't make it. Didn't make it. Came back, worked some college baseball, then had a short stand in Division One baseball. Um, worked a lot of college baseball, high school baseball, and then uh, tried my hand at basketball. And then uh, did some uh, short stint in high school football also. And then, but ultimately landed on NCAA women's basketball. And now am I, I'm on my probably, you know, I lose track, but at least 15th year in Division One basketball um, from conferences from the Big Ten all the way down. So, yeah, that's a short story of it. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, I, uh, I have uh, two kids who are grown and out of the house as well. Mm. Uh, I have a, a but son. One's still in college, though, right? Well, they're both yeah, still they're, in college. So they're, they're not off the payroll they're, yet, but they are out of the house, mm-hmm. so that part's good. Now, I have a son who's uh, attending university locally and just having a blast. He's a part of a marching band and, and having a blast with it. I have a daughter who's down uh, on the Gulf in Alabama at a school down there and traveling, doing all sorts of stuff. And so it's great to have them. I'm uh, recently uh, married, uh, mm-hmm. my wife and I, uh, just a few months now. And uh, she is amazing and love the support that she gives as a, a former athlete uh, to what I do now in the in the sports world. And uh, with her job in the medical field, she works with tons of athletes at a, a Big Ten university. Uh, there's part of what she does. So she gets and understands uh, part of what I do, which is awesome. And uh, I came to officiating uh, just about uh, eight years ago and uh, started out. I had been on a, a health journey and dropping some weight and doing things like that. And it got to a point that I could participate again. And so I started out just doing little kid baseball and mm-hmm. found out I didn't have a clue what I was doing. <laughs> so I went to a camp. I went to a collegiate camp, not the pro camp that Jeff went to, but uh, learned some things and continued to see some, some health improve and then ended up uh, getting the opportunity to work college baseball. After doing that and seeing some of the things on the landscape at the high school level, I, I said, you know, I, I want to try this, uh, this college basketball thing and actually called up Jeff and Jeff and I didn't even really know each other at that time. We'd met each other at a couple meetings and uh, we sat down at a uh, Barnes and Noble to uh, have coffee and neither one of us drink coffee. So we had tea yeah, and, true. Uh, true. and talked about what that would mean. And I remember Jeff giving me some very key things he wanted to see happen for me. And uh, since then, it kind of sparked a friendship, which is part of why we're here. Uh, but also, I've now had the opportunity for the last six years to work college women's basketball uh, all the way up to the Division two level. Uh, I work college baseball up to the Division one level as well as independent professional baseball. And uh, I also assign, uh, so I assign a, a college baseball conference and uh, a couple of junior colleges as well as some junior college basketball. So I also bring that side to the conversation uh, as an assigner. And so, uh, Jeff, I, I think one wait, of the things that's... Wait, yeah? I, I want everyone to know, I think you're underse- underselling your health, okay? <clears throat> People who don't know Chad, I mean, he was, you know, he, he'd spent some time, uh, you know, w- without... I mean, he was heavy. He was very, very heavy, and he, and he changed his lifestyle. And um, you know that that in itself takes a great commitment, and and to be able to withstand that, and and, and withstand that for many, many years. Um, I'm sure with a few hiccups along the road. Sure. But um, you took control of your health, which helped elevate your officiating career and in, in your life in general. So. Yeah, I want you to undersell it, man. I've been I've been super fortunate. We may even talk about that uh, in the future. Jeff's done some things from a health standpoint, mm-hmm. and and I had to. At one point, I was four hundred and fifty pounds, and 
Uh, now I'm far less than half of that. Uh, I'd like to say I'm just half the man I used to be. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's opened up doors and possibilities for me that I never would have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. Jeff, um, you talked about going to, uh, to umpire school and all, but you know, why, why did you get into officiating in the first place? What is it that uh, was that drive for you to step into that world? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, ultimately, you know, I call it paper route money. I, I needed, I needed a few extra bucks. So when you're a kid, what do you do? You get a paper route so you get some money. When you're an adult, you know, if you're an athlete, all right, let's, let's spend some time, get some extra money. Now I will say, you know, when I first started umpiring baseball, you know, I kind of really had a, I don't know if, if you, back then when you're 16, 17 years old, you don't know if you really call that drive or not, but I had a need to want to be, be an umpire. Um, so I did, you know, I, you know, I like had to ride my bike, you know, down to, cause I live in a small town of about 500 people. And I rode my bike down to the local John Deere place, who was the guy hiring the umpires for you know, the local little league. So I went down there and, um, he said, uh, what do you know about umpire? And I said, nothing. <laughs> he said, okay, you're hired, you know? So, um, once I did that and I used to just really, really, I feel like my competitive juices took over a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and when they take over, cause when you're playing, you're like, okay, I want to play. I want to prepare to play. I want to, I want to, I want this, you know, in baseball, you know, you always contingency with the rain and the bad weather. So when you were playing baseball, you didn't want it to rain on game day because you wanted to play the game. I took that same enthusiasm into umpiring. So when I had a game to umpire, whatever it be Tuesday, I mean, I didn't want it to rain. I just didn't want it to rain because I wanted to be able to umpire. So um, I think all that being a being a competitive athlete, um, and I will you know I'll say this you know I was an uneducated man. You know, when I say uneducated, I just had a high school. You know, I was just grades were the least of my worries, and. Um, so I had to find something to, to buy into and officiating was that, um, that it, I felt like at the time, then it was very, um, across the board, you know, anybody can do it. We don't care if you played sports. We don't care if you have enough courage to get out there, you're going to qualify. And then whether or not you make it or not still remains to be seen. So I did spend, um, a lot of time converting that from, Playing at playing sports to actually being part of that sport. So, and then, you know, it's just really snowballed. It snowballed into, you know, things that I didn't think it would do, mm-hmm. you know, so much to where, um, and I've said this before many, many times when I decided to take on basketball, I came home and told my wife, Gina, I said, Gina, I'm going to, I'm going to try basketball. And her, her reply was, what do you know about basketball? <laughs> she had a very valid point. I didn't know much about baseball or basketball at the time. So, but you know, going back to baseball, I hate to switch gears on you, but when I was going back to baseball, my first time I took the test for IHSA baseball, I was really convinced I knew everything about it. Failed to test miserably. <laughs> I mean, sent it in, got the results back, you know, you failed, big red letters, all this stuff. And I'm like, man, I just don't know what I'm doing. And that's probably that failure helped me to have some success in basketball mm-hmm. because as my wife said, what do you know about basketball? Well, Evidently, I didn't know much about baseball, but I still managed to make that work through that failure. And then when basketball came along, I was able to make that work. So it's kind of how I got started. And then, you know, the phrase I always, you know, always say is once you've been bitten by the bug, there's nothing you can do about it. So you've got it and you don't ever want to let go. Yeah. You know, you brought up that idea of 
competitiveness as an official. I think that's something that people outside the officiating world would be really surprised to understand how competitive we are. And I don't always mean competitive with each other, but I think that competitive drive is what helps make a great official great because they're not content to be as good as their last game. They're not content to be as good as their last match or, you know, what, whatever sport they're working in. That idea that, man, it, to everybody else it looked great, but, but I know I missed this call or I know I wasn't in good position here or I, I know I could have done this a little bit better. And that competitive drive pushes us um, to be better. And, uh, and I know I've definitely seen that in you. For me, it was a little different, actually. I didn't come to officiating young. Uh, like you did. Uh, if I had ridden my bike to get my first assigning things, it would have looked a little odd because I was in my 30s by the time <laughs> I uh, I went to go do that. And, and But it was for a similar reason. It wasn't paper route money. It was having money so my kids could do extra stuff at school or things like that. I just I, I didn't have some of the disposable income that other people did. I, uh, I work in the, the not-for-profit world. And uh, as that... Uh, had made some decisions for the, the furtherment of our organization to, to back off a little bit on the income so that the organization could do more, which meant I needed to find income someplace else. And so that's why I originally stepped into that role because I could still keep my schedule the way I needed it to be for my day job mm-hmm. uh, and make whatever days or nights available for sports. And if I had worked, you know, delivering pizzas, they were going to set my schedule, not yep. me. And, yep. and officiating allowed me to set my own schedule. And that's the reason I chose it. Um, and you know, I said earlier, when, once I got in and realized just how little I knew, like I, I remember one of the first camps I ever went to, I, I didn't even know how to put the ball bags on my belt correctly, you know, or how many to wear or why and that kind of thing. And I was so, I was so fortunate. Uh, there was a guy named Kirk Hacker and uh, Shane was one of the clinicians uh, at his camp. And I had gone there, and, and they both could have just laughed me off the field. I mean, they could have ended my officiating career right then and there because of how idiotic I seemed out there. <laughs> I didn't have a clue how to work a two-man game, and this was a three-man clinic I had ended up at. And they just could have laughed me off. And instead, Shane took me under his arm and showed me what to do and how to wear the ball bags and took me over into the bullpen and showed me how to call a strike. Uh, and took me out on the field that I had no idea what I was doing in a three-man crew, and he he did it with me. He did it right next to me. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, you go do this, he did it with me. And I remember how how amazing that was, and I, I try to carry that over now to stuff that I do, realizing that, you know, whatever avenue of life we're in, we have the ability to stop people in their tracks. Yes. We also have the ability to help propel people forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, for me, um, the, the reason I stepped in um, was, was just necessity. But then that same kind of idea that you talked about, get, getting bitten by the bug, and especially when it came to collegiate sports. Once I had worked collegiate baseball and understood what that environment was like and then having the opportunity um, to step into that same kind of world uh, in the women's basketball uh, arena um, was just huge for me. You know, Jeff, it's interesting. We come at it from from different places, but what is it that keeps you in the game? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the money helps. Sure. <laughs> you know, the money helps. Um, but again, I mean, I'm going to go back to the competitiveness. You know, I there's you know 
probably a lot of people would have different answers on this situation. But I think what keeps me into the game is, you know, the love for the people that I meet within the game. Not necessarily the game. Mm-hmm. You know, if I could still have, when I still, still probably will, but when when basketball's over for me and officiating's over for me, what's keeping me in the game is the friendships that I've developed over the years. That's what keeps me around. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I think also what I, what I love most about officiating is how it changes a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot. I say, I like change. I love it when things change. And I, I often joke about, you know, if I'm in a group of a hundred officials and that we have 25 different rule changes and I've got 99 people complaining that we have a, you know, 25 rule changes. And I, meanwhile, while they're complaining, I'm already learned the 25 rule changes. That means I'm ahead of them because I love the change. Yeah. I've embraced Job that change. Security. Yeah, man, bring it on. <laughs> no problem at all. And, and the quicker I adapt to that, the more, um, it becomes, you know, you know, a sense of achievement for me. Sure. You know, one of the things we, we think about, you know, we live in a day and age where a lot of things are given to people, kids, adults, and everything. Um, but it means so much more when you've earned it. Mm-hmm. So when they do, when we do have major changes and we do have major situations that, you know, whatever that is that changes and I'm able to adapt to that, it just means so much more to me. And that is self gratifying to me. You know, that, that is, it's got nothing to do with, you know, if they took it all away and just, just dealt with me personally, I'm very gratified that I can adapt to whatever changes are thrown at me, whether they be difficult or easy. And then I feel that I am more um, rewarded for that. And I feel more rewarded. When I feel more rewarded, I want more of it. Sure. I, you know, every time, you know, when someone reaches first place and they actually get first place and they get a first place trophy, guess what they want to do again? They want to have first place trophy. But when you, when you get that reward without any kind of hard work or, you know, or minimal hard work, we'll say, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that much. You want another trophy? No, nah, 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 no big deal. So I think that, you know, and, I, and I've seen that in my house. I've seen it. We have, both of our kids have in, in their room a success shelf. Okay. And they hang, you know, their medals and their trophies or whatever it is. And it's interesting. There's, I don't think there's, I don't think there's any first place trophies on there. Okay. The both those kids are out of the house. Guess where those trophies are at? They're mm-hmm. They don't mean much to them. Yeah. Even though we gave them, we tried to make them feel good. We tried to make them, oh, you're doing great. You're doing all these things. And here's your trophy. In the long term, it meant nothing because now they're an adult and this if it was a, if it was multiple full, first place trophies, I bet they would have made it to their house. They were like, I'm keeping this. I, I remember the early mornings, the late nights. I remember all that stuff. I remember playing with the bloody nose and, you know, whatever that might be to get this first place trophy. So it means more when you get a second place trophy, it just doesn't mean as much. Sure. Or whatever that might be the reward. So I like that. I like it when hard work comes my way and officiating is by far one of the hardest things I've ever had to do between adapting from one year to the next or from one sport to the next. So, and then I feel those rewards and it's just an endorphin hit for me. I'm like, all right, let's do it again. Yeah. You know, when we talk about this idea of an uncommon drive, I mean, that philosophy is, is definitely uncommon, at least as to how our society wants to show itself. Mm -hmm. I I think it's more common than than people think. Mm -hmm. 
I, I think there are people out there. I, I think there are probably people listening to the, the, the podcast right now that say, yeah, that's that's what drives me. I, you know, when, when everybody else thinks they can't do it and I think I can, that drives me. That I makes love me want to it. succeed. When people tell me I can't, I love it. Yeah. Say it again. <laughs> and it doesn't matter if, whether it's in the officiating world, if it's at home, if it's a job, mm-hmm. if it's at church or your social organization, wherever it's at. You know, that idea to, to step into, to, to lean into the difficult, you know, a phrase you used to use a lot was, you know, do hard things, you know, to, to step up and, and do those hard things and not see it as, oh, my gosh, it's something else I have to do. But, hey, I'm going to do this and, and it's going to propel me where I want to go. Yep. I, I think that's going to be an underlying current to what we talk about over mm-hmm. the course uh, of this podcast. Um, and I think it is what what really brings people success internally, not just externally. And uh, this is one little thing I, I want to hit on before we kind of wrap uh, this, this first uh, introductory episode for everybody. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in, like you said, the, the, the trophies, mm-hmm. right? And, and it, we know in the sports world today, we have so watered that down. You know, every little kid tournament somewhere, people are getting rings mm-hmm. or they're getting championship shirts. And there's 27 national championships every summer. And, you know, I mean, all these kinds of things. And so to a large part, a lot of that has been kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, dumbed down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just not as meaningful. But I think the things that that your kids maybe took with them, I think some things that we took with them, whether that's literally physically taking them with or um, or, or just carrying with us in, in who we are, mm-hmm. I think is those measures of success that we have. Um, <laughs> you know, those measures of success where it was the hard night and you stayed up late because you had a final the next day mm-hmm. and yet you still showed up to play the game. Right. You know, it's it's that kind of success. It may be, you know, there there may be somebody listening today who's like, you know, man, man ultimately I want to be a I want to be a division one referee just like Jeff. Mm-hmm. I want to work 80 plus division one games a year. I want to travel all over the place because that seems glamorous mm-hmm. to go to South Dakota one day and you know head to the East Coast the next mm-hmm. or wherever, right? Um and that that person may never find that trophy of success. Sometimes because of choices we make on our own, sometimes because of things that are totally and completely out of our control, right? Mm -hmm. But I think ultimately at the end of the career, at the at the end looking back at that shelf, it's not gonna be the yes, I was a division one referee or umpire or whatever, but I was able to build incredible relationships. I was able to build myself in such a way that me being a great official also made me a great mom or a great dad, mm. a great spouse, mm. a great employee, a great employer. Yep. You know, those kinds of things that I think are really going to help us as, as we move through this. So it's, it's our hope and desire that uh, as we continue uh, putting these out for you each week, that you get the opportunity as you're listening um, to uh, to experience what we experienced and really kind of the, the nexus for all of this was the idea that as we were heading to or from a game, mm-hmm. we'd call. Right. 
You know, uh, Jeff's got a list of guys that he calls before and after a game. I've got a, a, a list of, of people that I call before and after a game. And sometimes you call because you're excited about the experience going to happen. You know, so-and-so's got a huge game. they got number one versus number two tonight. So you call them to encourage them and pump them up and get them ready to go. And sometimes you just finished a game where you got beat up by the coach. Tough day at the office. Yeah, you know you, you missed a call, <laughs> yeah, and you right. know those videos are going to be yeah, coming to you right. in the email really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you need to call and get somebody to talk you off the ledge mm-hmm. as you're on a three-hour windshield time drive home. Yeah. And, uh, and I, again, that comes back to this uncommon drive idea. A lot of people hit that windshield, and they drive, and they want to hide. They want to hide from it. It didn't really happen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to sleep. Tomorrow, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. The game was fine. Life's fine. My home's fine. My work's fine. And the reality is they're not. Mm-hmm. And we hope to be talking about some tools that are going to make your windshield time an uncommon drive. Yep. It's going to make it something that's different, something that's meaningful. And so uh, we hope that you will uh, plug in with us. As uh, we go through that, any last words for us today, Jeff? Nope. Uh, I, you know, as David Goggins says, be uncommon amongst common people, and I think um, that is a phrase you should take with you every day when you wake up and before you go to bed, and ask yourself: Are you going to be, or were you, uncommon amongst common people? So you can you can hang on to that phrase. You're you're better than ninety nine percent are going out right now. So that's awesome. All right, guys, we'll look forward to talking to you again next week. See ya. Thanks for being a part of the Uncommon Drive podcast. We hope that you will check us out online, that you'll give us a five-star rating, and that you'll subscribe so that we can share more content like this with you in the future. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.